We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the tragic shootings in Chicago and Indianapolis. And then we're joined by Randy Barnett, author of a new book called Our Republican Constitution, Securing the Liberty and Sovereignty of We the People. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on a beautiful Friday afternoon. Friday. We Friday, made it. You and we I were, did it. You and I were just talking like, man, this has been a week. This has been a full week. I mean, it's been a week just in life, and it's been a week in the news. And yeah, oh, yeah. man, it's, it's good to be Friday. Yeah, I want to start a little lighthearted, and then we're going to dive completely the opposite okay. direction here in the first uh, portion of the show. Uh, if people could see you right now, you are... Uh, <laughs> So a little bit of background, uh, Aubrey and I, because we're a new show, we actually have to do headshots today. Yes, like we we're pictures. very official now. And so you you took a lot of time, outfits, getting ready. Yes. So, so I talked are, to your wife and made sure we were kind of matchy-matchy. Well, yes, go you, ahead. You say you, what you're going to say. You have your headphones on upside down right now. And you have to hold them up so as not to mess up your hair. Yes, I can't mess up. I got my hair and my makeup professionally done for the photos because I can't do hair and makeup for the life of me. Therefore, my headphones are on upside down because I can't push down on my big hair. I got my big Texas Chicago hair. But you also have to hold them. I'm holding them. This, like, I got to be honest, this looking at you across is a little ridiculous. <laughs> it's right not going to last. I'm going to just mess up my hair. Let's also talk about I have on fake eyelashes, folks. So I they're going to look very lengthy in the photos. Those aren't real. How I just you, want everyone to How know. do you feel about fake eyelashes? I have mixed feelings. My, my stylist <laughs> sounds so professional. The, did, the, the did. person who did my hair and makeup, who I love, convinced me I needed them for the photograph. And <laughs> I wasn't convinced, but she did it. And I don't know. I'll be honest. I'll tell you after the pictures. Okay. Total guy question here. Yeah. Can you just pull off fake eyelashes yes. or is it more complex than yeah, that? Yeah, you can just pull them off, but they are kind of like quote unquote glued on. So you have to do it delicately so you don't pull off your own eyelashes. <laughs> I'll probably sleep and I'll probably wear them all weekend, honestly. <laughs> I don't know how you women exist. <laughs> I don't either. I don't know. I just, I bought into the the myth that I needed eyelashes. So we'll see if it pays off. I do remember at our wedding when Carrie and I got married, like she had to like arrive and start getting ready like five hours yes. before. I was like, yes. Oh, no, I'll get there like 45 minutes before. Speaking of that, I know we have important topics to talk about, but I do have to say one thing. My sister's getting married next weekend, and the wedding's at 6.30 p.m. P.m.? Okay, that's dinner time. <laughs> yes. We have to get there. Guess what time for hair and makeup? Uh, so I would... There's what would I guess, and fr- from context clues, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I would guess, if I if you hadn't given me any context clues, yeah. I would guess 2 o'clock. Oh, that's really, you're really far away okay, from the time frame. 9 a.m. <laughs> 9 a.m., folks. And what time are the guys getting there? Not till like 4.30, yeah, of course. Yeah, they're probably going to play a round of golf before it <laughs> exactly. even Exactly. Kevin's like, I'm going to go for a long jog that day. I'm going to train <laughs> so, for my triathlon that day. There are many things that make men uh, and women different, and that is one of the major ones. Yeah. Just, yeah, for our photo shoot today, my wife just said, wear these pants, wear this shirt. I set up a haircut for you. <laughs> Didn't Wonderful. she also say happy birthday? These <laughs> yeah, are early birthday goes, presents. Early birthday. I, go, I don't think that's how this works. 
<laughs> so anyway, you'll be watching, and you, we would love all of you to comment. I'm sure Aubrey would appreciate it if all of you commented yay or yes. nay on the uh yeah, hope, say yay, even if you don't believe it, just to yes. make me feel good about myself, please. I need just it. All yays, all yays, all the time. Well, as we said, I do want to take a hard right turn here. Uh, wanted to talk, uh, just feels like you wrote a note here when I put these articles down, like, man, a lot of heavy stuff mm, right now. It's been a hard week. And particularly the two things I want to talk about in totality here, like last night I did a lot of watching, last night the video of uh, that fatal police shooting of 13-year-old, I think you say his name, Adam Toledo, is that mm-hmm. right, Toledo, yeah. uh, was released. And that was so hard to even, I never, I didn't watch it, but even I was watching the news, I was watching WGN and they showed like up and to the point when he, yeah, when the gunshot, and you're just like, oh my gosh, it was just to hear the discussion and uh, I wasn't even so much concerned, like interested in the debate about ju- sure. just the heavy, 13 year, I have a 13 year old son. Exactly. And and, you know, there's people who want to say, well, he did this or the police did it. Not even my biggest care. I just felt so sad watching yeah. these parents yeah. and watching all yeah. these people and then wake up this morning to eight people being killed at a FedEx facility in another mass shooting in Indianapolis today. Uh, many more injured. And you're like, what the heck? What like, is going What is going on? I don't even, you know, like I, I, I'm not even connected to either of these other than watching them. And right. I feel just incredibly Oh, man, another one, more of the, like, yeah. you see a police shooting and you're like, another one. Right. I don't even know the details, but another right. one. Right. And then you see these mass shootings and another, another one. one. And I don't know the answers. All I know, all I guess I want to say is it makes me really sad and it should make all of us really I think sad. it should make all of us sad. I think it should make all of us get on our knees mm-hmm. in lament before the Lord and just beg for change. I. I got to confess, I'm I'm not a person who deals with anxiety. I know we're talking about anxiety yeah. later on this afternoon, but this has brought me some anxiety. Like I, this is a new level of uh, terrorism mm. in on our own land by our own people against our own people, and I just am frightened for the future if this continues. But of course, more than any of it, grieving all of the losses. I mean, just losses of innocent life, and your heart goes out to. Adam Toledo's family, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. his mom. I know I know that there are churches in the city that have been covering them in prayer, knowing that this article was going to come out. And I just feel like this is a mo or this video is going to yeah. come out. This is a moment for the people of God not to I think not to argue, mm-hmm. not to get political. I know that's hard, but just stand before the Lord and ask him to make change. Because something's yeah. got something has to give here. I think that's really well put because it does get frustrating when you turn on the news, and I get it. That's what, how it works. But you turn on the news or whatever, and it's immediately like, whose fault is it? What's right, this? Don't right. take my gun rights away. Don't do that. And you're like, can we at least have 24 hours to go, this is awful. A 13-year-old kid died. Eight people were killed at FedEx. Yes. Like, this is, we need to be weeping like David does throughout the scripture. Like, this is too much? Oh, Lord. That's exactly right. And I feel like the people of... Uh, the the Christ followers, the people of God, need to uh, take a different stance, and we yeah. need to go. Hey, uh, you know what? A, a pro life issue to look through the pro life lens mm-hmm. that we always talk about has to be how does the how do we help be, create a culture where these things don't happen? That's it. And uh, whether you want to be like, nope, don't take my guns, or all the guns should be got. It's right. not what it's about. Right. It's about what is it in our culture that is leading to eight people who just got up and went to work today 
uh, and I don't know even the reason. I haven't read the stories as to what happened. But what do we? What is it about our culture that says you know what we're getting used to waking mm-hmm. up, turning on the Today Show, and go mm-hmm. oh, that stinks. Eight people got killed at a FedEx facility today, and right. I'll be honest, like almost losing the sensitivity that says right. Oh, this is hard. I I don't know. That's it, what I was thinking about last night. Is that we can't. That would be our final call, I think, yeah. to you listeners. Let's not go grow numb to this violence. Call. Let's get on our knees and ask the Lord to make the, change. Great call. Like uh, a lot of times, talk radio goes right to like, what's the issue? Yeah. What's the answer? Yeah. No, no, let's let's pray yeah. and let's just be. Uh, as someone who wrote a book about lament, let's lament yeah. and be sad and yeah. be okay with that. Well. Uh, wanted to start there. It's a hard way to start, but man, it's just so tragic and, and we have to face it. Coming up next, Randy Barnett, author of Our Republican Constitution, Securing the Liberty and Sovereignty of We the People. He's going to join us and we want to talk to him specifically. Uh, you and I were like, I, I don't really understand this issue about the Supreme Court right, and adding right. justices. So we want to talk to somebody a lot smarter than us to kind of get at it. Randy's going to do that next with us here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thrilled to have you with us today. And we're real excited to be joined on the phone by Randy Barnett, a professor of constitutional law at Georgetown University, also the director of the Georgetown Center for the Constitution. And uh, as if that's not enough, Randy's also the author of Our Republican Constitution, Securing the Liberty and Sovereignty of We the People. Randy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you guys doing up there? We are doing well. Doing good. The sun is actually out here in the Chicagoland, so we are good today. Hey, Randy, before we jump in to all we want to talk about, could you briefly introduce yourself to our audience just so they can get to know you a little bit? Oh, sure. I'm a law professor at Georgetown Law School. I've been a law professor for some 35 years. I actually started teaching in Chicago at the Chicago Camp College of Law. I grew up in Chicago area. Uh, Calumet City was where mm-hmm. I grew up. My folks were from Hyde Park and nice. South Shore, respectively. Uh, and I was a prosecutor in Chicago in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office wow. after I graduated from Harvard Law School. Wow, that's awesome. It's good to have good to have you back here in the Chicagoland, at least on the radio. Hey, uh, what we wanted to talk about, Aubrey and I, we were reading an article and watching the news, obviously, about this idea of adding justices to the Supreme Court. And lots of people have really big opinions on that. But we wanted to get kind of an expert on to tell us what are the pros of increasing the number of justices on the Supreme Court? And then obviously the flip side, what are the cons? What are the dangers of this possibility? Well, I think the first thing that your audience should know is that this is perfectly constitutional. I'm against the idea, but it is completely constitutional. The number of Supreme Court justices is set by Congress. They have to pass a law that's signed by the president. That's how it's done. Uh, and it has varied over the years since the founding. We've had as few as five and as many as ten Supreme Court justices. Having said that, uh, the number has been set at nine for about 150 years. Mm. Wow. Um, and so um, that is a long, settled practice. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt proposed uh, a, what's called a court packing scheme um, uh, to change that, and it was repu- he was repudiated by his own party, the Democratic Party, when he proposed it, uh, even though his party held enormous majorities uh, in Congress at the time. 
So um, let me just say a word about what court packing is and is not. Because mm-hmm. sure. it's, it's not an official legal term. It's a term that's used, you know, rhetorically in politics. Um, court packing, I don't think, is just changing the number of Supreme Court justices. As I've said, that's been done before. Court packing is changing the number of Supreme Court justices to secure a particular political or partisan or ideological outcome. Okay. It's because you don't like the composition of the Supreme Court and how they're ruling. You want to add justices who are going to rule the way you want to. And sure. the, po- the, the proposal that was just introduced yesterday in Congress by a few congressmen would increase the number of justices from 9 to 13. Well, just by coincidence, there are six conservative justices now, mm-hmm. including Justice Chief Justice Roberts, who I do count as a conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, by adding four justices, guess what? Just by complete coincidence, the number would go uh, from um, uh, six to three yeah. to um, uh, seven to six. That's right. Yeah. How do you like that? Um, <laughs> Some strategy there, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it shows that this is a partisan effort, and the number of justices, it's a very, very bad idea for the mm. number of justices to be set uh, for partisan uh, reasons. Hmm. Yeah. If this bill passes, what will be impacted? Like, practically, how does this play out for us on a day-to-day basis? Well, first of all, I don't think the bill will pass. Uh, the uh, House leadership does not support it. I don't think it's going to get anywhere in the House. There's a commission that's been appointed by the president to study Supreme Court reforms. It's made up all, all, exclusively of law professors, overwhelmingly left of center law professors, although I know people uh, from the right who are also on the commission. Um, I'm not sure that commission will recommend expanding the number of judges. They mm-hmm. might actually come in with a proposal like term limits or something like that. We'll have to see. They're supposed to report back in six months. So I don't think this bill is going to go anywhere. But if a bill like this were to pass, I think the most obvious casualty would be the legitimacy of the Supreme Court itself. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. Because once it is accepted that the number of justices or the composition of the court will expressly depend on the partisan makeup of the court and the substantive beliefs of the judges in that way, once that is established, then there's no reason to take the court seriously as an independent tribunal of justice. It will be viewed rightly as simply appendage of whichever party happens to control. Right, right. Yeah. And we will lose something very valuable in this country, Mm -hmm. which is the legitimacy associated with an independent judiciary who is supposed to call it the way they see it. Now, it's a flawed judiciary because they don't always do that. Sure. But that's what they aspire to. Right. And this would eliminate that as even a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Randy, I think you brought up a really important word, that word of partisan. Uh, I know when I look at our politics, especially in our country, everything feels so super divided and partisan. I wonder if, A, you'd agree with that, and B, what are the dangers, what is the struggle that we have as a culture right now because of that partisanship? Well, first of all, yes, I do agree with it, Um, although I do think it's useful to keep in mind that things at one time were worse than they are today. I mean, we we did, uh, the country did live through uh, a conflict in which 500,000, half a million Americans died on the battlefield mm-hmm. yeah. fighting over a partisan divide. Right. Um, we're not at that point now. Uh, but the reason why I feel I, it feels so partisan now is because the two political parties have sorted themselves out ideologically in a way that has not been true for the last 75 or 80 years. Mm-hmm. When the parties shared a kind of common political view, uh, then had variations at the margin. Now we really do have a progressive party, the Democratic Party, and a conservative 
uh, uh, party, which is the Republican Party, more so than we've ever had. And that means that under our system of government, uh, these two parties, uh, and, they're, and they're relatively equally divided. Right. I mean, the country's relatively equally matched with, a, with a, group, a large group in the middle who are neither, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the, the levers of government allow for many ways in which one party can obstruct the victory of the other party. Um, either party can do that, from having to get uh, both Congresses, both houses of Congress to agree, mm-hmm. to have a president of one party, a Congress of another party, having filibusters, all, having an independent judiciary. There's lots of ways that this partisan divide, which is very, very fundamental and seemingly growing deeper right. um, uh, as the Democratic Party moves to the left, um, uh, that's going to create some uh, tremendous social conflict. Yeah. And I guess the other thing that's happening now is there does seem to be a fundamental questioning, uh, primarily coming from the Democratic Party, of some of what we might call the fundamental American principles or mm-hmm. even the goodness of America. Right. That's not something. That's not something that divided the parties before. That was mm-hmm. something both parties had in common. Mm-hmm. And the more things like that divide the parties, the more ugly this is going to feel. Mm. Yeah, that's a um, helpful word for us as we consider this topic, Randy. You are the author of two books: um, "Our Republican Constitution: Securing the Liberty and Sovereignty of We the People." You're also the co-author of an introduction to constitutional law: 100 Supreme Court Cases Everyone Should Know. Can you tell us a little bit about those books? I'd be delighted. Um, the first book, which is a popular book for, I mean, it's a trade book for a popular audience, talks about the proper role of the judiciary in a constitutional republic. And it distinguishes between a democracy, which is based on a collective conception of we the people, and a republic, which is based on an individualist conception of we the people, each and every one of us. Um, and how judges are thought to be kind of a bad thing in a democratic system because they th- if they thwart the democratic will, but they're a really good thing in a republican system because they help protect the rights of each of us mm. from the majority, and that's what that book explains. Okay. The introduction to co- constitutional law, 100 Supreme Court cases everyone should know, is really a primer to introduce a general audience to what the Supreme Court has done with constitutional law from the founding until today. It's not about the meaning of the text of the Constitution. It's about the meaning of what the Supreme Court has done about it. And it, when you buy that book, which is a paperback, you, you get a scratch-off code that's good for a video series that my co-author and I spent two years recording, wow. 63, 63 short videos explaining these 100 cases using graphics and videos and excerpts from oral arguments. You get that for free when you buy the book uh, uh, using the scratch-off code in, in the inside cover. Oh, that's a great idea. I would encourage people to go to Amazon and get those two books. Again, Randy Barnett is professor of constitutional law and also the director of the Georgetown Center for the Constitution, both of which at Georgetown University. You can uh, learn more a lot, a lot more about Randy at his website, randybarnett.com. That's randybarnett.com. Randy, this was really insightful and helpful. We're real appreciative. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today. Hey. Thanks for having me, and hello to Chicago. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. It's our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really grateful to have you with us today on a Friday afternoon. Hope you're looking forward to a great weekend. Uh, well, you, most people may not know this, or most people probably do. You wrote a book. You've written multiple books, mm-hmm. but uh, your most recent book, 
uh, is on lament. Help other people. What is lament? Define the word yeah. lament for us. Yeah, lament scripturally is known as an impolite plea. It is really crying out to God uh, out of pain and grief and sorrow in some of the rawest, ugliest language you can imagine. And often lament is not just personal. It is communal. It is prophetic. It is for the nation that is suffering. Lament is found all throughout scripture. Jesus lamented. Of course, we know that uh, Tamar lamented and we know that Job lamented as well. Most of the Psalms, believe it or not, are actually laments. David wrote three-fourths of his psalms are laments. Mm. And uh, really, it's a biblical language for us to express our pain to God. And what I just think we have such a beautiful God who allows us um, to speak to him from our, our deepest hurts, but also gives us a language in which we can, we can join in with other sufferers uh, across history, across biblical history, join in with them to express our pain when we need to. Oh, that's really good. Again, what's the name of the book? Oh, the book is called The Louder Song. Well, you can buy it anywhere books, books are sold. <laughs> on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, at your local bookstores as well. The Louder Song, and Listening the, for Hope in the Midst of Lament. Wonderful. The reason I bring it up, other than just to sell you some books, is this idea of lament. We, there was an article the Gospel Coalition that got me thinking about, uh, you talked about it being partially done in community. And the, and the question is, how do we come alongside our brothers and sisters, our friends, whoever, who are struggling yeah, and who, yeah. are, who are in the midst of sorrow? Maybe it's a physical illness. Maybe they're depressed. Maybe it's a job, whatever else it might be. The, the, the article here is asking how, and like good Bible people, they go to the book of Job and ask, right? how was it done well, not done well? How was it here? not done well, right? And ask, what does it look like to be a good comforter? What does it look like to be a good friend mm. when someone else is in the midst of of struggle? And so they're going to kind of give some stuff here. But as you studied, what are some of the things that we often do terribly? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we all mean well. Some of the things we do terribly are we try to fix it real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't allow people the space to experience the breadth of their grief, the depth of their grief, and the length of their grief. We expect their grief to be over before it's actually over. And we want to say, oh, well, we want to sort of balance the scales of grief for people. Well, this must have happened so that God can be glorified. This mm. horrible thing happened in your life so God could teach you a lesson. Um, balancing the scales of grief is not our job. That mm. is the Lord's That's job. Good. Our job is to sit with people in their suffering, be as present as we can. And th- this is the moment to be literally the presence of Jesus. Weep with those who weep. Do not a- offer solutions. Do not offer, um, I'm going to make you feel better. Just be with people. And I think this is the biggest thing. Let the griever lead the way. Like, Mm. you don't need to lead the way for them. You allow the griever to set the pace. And for a while, especially if it's a really good friend who's grieving, you need to let them know you're there as much as you possibly can. I think sometimes we we avoid, we like run away because we're afraid of grief. We need to lean in. But we also need to lean in in a way that allows space. So, hey, I am here for you, friend. If you're hurting, you can send text messages, send cards. If you need me, I'm here. If you need me, I'm here. But you're not going to force yourself on yeah. that either. So it's a delicate balance. But I think don't be afraid because people are, I think sometimes it, and I'll let you talk Brian no. after this. But I think sometimes we think we're going to bring up their grief for them or make mm. it worse by talking about it. But a grieving person is grieving. So we're not triggering their grief. We're just acknowledging you have gone through something terrible. I see you mostly yeah. because God sees you. That's really good. And and. I know I can struggle with that sometimes like I don't think they want to hear from another person yeah. or I don't think and you know 
that becomes unhelpful. So they give a list here at the Gospel Coalition. Ian and I used to joke about the beauty of the Gospel Coalition is they love a good list. They're good at lists. So here's yep. how we're going to do this. Uh, they're going to ask, basically, how do we not be miserable comforters? How do we do a good job being a comforter? I'm going to read the, just the title to the list to, to each one. Okay. And I'm going to let you react to it. Oh, again, wow. Okay. You wrote the book. Yeah, so this will be here fun. Here we go. Uh, number one, he says, the author writes, don't give trite answers, offer your presence. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's essentially what I just said. Kind of that, um, none of that, oh, he's in a better place now, or she's in a better place now, mm-hmm. if, you, if someone has lost a loved one. That's not helpful, especially early on, because the reality is we want our loved ones with us. Yes, absolutely. You know? Number two, don't try to draw <laughs> lessons for them. Yeah, again, wow, they must have read my book. This is, <laughs> this is sort of that balancing the scales thing, where it is not your job to um, tie it up in a pretty package. Yep. It is your job to allow them to grieve, because God allows them and invites them to grieve, and His Holy Spirit's going to comfort them in a way that you don't even know. Mm-hmm. God's going to show up. Yeah, I, I think often we like to wrap it up in a tidy bow mm-hmm. because it makes us feel better. 100%. It's not even about making them feel better. Right, like, hey, right, look at right. the wisdom I imparted right. on them. And the reality is there is some pain that is inexplicable and nonsensical. It's so grievous that you just, to wrap it up in a pretty little bow is to invalidate the pain that someone, and That's the right. evil that someone has experienced. That's right. Number three, don't expect a timeline. Oh, they did read my book. Um, <laughs> yes, again, uh, Grief takes a lot of time, and yeah. we have to be willing to let people take all the time they need, even if we're like, they need to you know, make a choice to have a good attitude. It's not about you to make that decision. For I them. guess one of the hardest things about grief is like everybody comes in, like, you know, yeah. somebody dies, everybody's there for four days, yeah. and it's just over yeah. to the point that it's overwhelming. Yeah. And then it's like, where is everybody? Yeah. Like, what just happened? I would say, you know, if you are walking with someone who's lost someone or is, is uh, maybe going through an illness, put the anniversary of that in your phone. So that you can remember every mm. year and send a card. Even if it's 10 years, send a card, send a text, send flowers. Let them know you remember this thing they've gone through. That's good. Number five, don't expect consistency. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, that, again, I, this is what I keep saying. You can't, um, a friendship may actually change. If you've been walking with like your mm. best friend and suddenly they're going through something really difficult, you have to remember that, that they're going through something difficult, and so things are not going to be what they were, and their grief is not going to be consistent. Sometimes a grieving person may feel like, hey, I want to get out in the world today, and sometimes they might be so angry they don't want to see anybody, and sometimes they might be uh, so sad. Just, again, we have to sort of let go of our need to control it, because yeah. grief is scary and weird, and it's hard and vulnerable. Just let, It is inconsistent. That's part of the healing journey. Then number five, don't water down your theology. Yeah, I, I, that's hard to do, especially because you're balancing not fixing it. But I do think God's sovereignty and God's hope in difficulty really ultimately, and God's presence mm-hmm. is what brings healing and heartache. That's good. And this is kind of based out of, if you read the article, based on kind of Job's friends and the bad job they did uh, in kind of encouraging and being there for Job. I guess I would close by encouraging people uh you know, in a lot of this is don't be scared to kind of enter into the mess with your friends yeah, and people. Good. Like, I think a lot of times it's fear that makes us go, I either better leave them alone right. or I better just say the right thing Certainly. or I better give them some nugget as opposed to like, I remember we were going, Carrie and I were going through some stuff when we were trying to have kids and I'll never get somebody close to me calling me and saying, uh, I don't know what to say, but I'm here whenever you need me. Love it. 
And I remember that being by far the most encouraging thing anybody yeah. ever said to me. Yeah. And I got a lot of answers, a lot of bad answers from yeah, people right. in the midst <laughs> right, of it. Right. So it's a good article, Gospel Coalition. Uh, they clearly took this from Aubrey's book. So I mean, obviously, they're just over there reading all my stuff and copying it. <laughs> we're going to look for an apology later. So anyway, it's at our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, kind of along the same lines, just want to talk about the concept of anxiety. How do you battle with anxiety? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Happy to have you with us today on a Friday afternoon. All right, so something I'm going to lay cards on the table or something I increasingly struggle with in my life is anxiety. Mm. I never like, I'm not medicated for it yeah. or any of this, but just, you know, I think you get older and you got more responsibility. And, and I struggle. I used to be a pretty carefree person. And yeah. now every now and then I'll like tell my wife, like, I'm having trouble sleeping or like, oh, I've wow. got like yeah. this. I just feel like the weight of the world's on my mm. shoulder. And I think a lot of people out there feel that way. Yep. And then you read, uh, so let's do a little bit of Bible work. You read Paul's words to the church in Philippi. You read Philippians 4, uh, where you know where Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. And when every time I read that, I'm like, well, that's not very helpful. But, <laughs> but, Thanks, Paul. I know. But then he gives the reason. He said, but he gives the action. He says, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And then the promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's okay. not just a don't be anxious, yeah. even though that's how it starts. Uh, and so I thought if I struggle with this, there's got to be a lot of people out there who struggle with anxiety. They say that anxiety is the growing, like the largest, fastest growing mental illness out there right now. Is and right? I'm using the term mental illness. Health crisis is maybe a better word that it is across the globe. Anxiety is just spiking incredibly and for young people as well. Interesting. I mean, yeah. in the midst of a pandemic, it makes, it, it makes some sense. Mm-hmm. But also, you and I have kids in the teenage years mm-hmm. or entering the, the pressures on them are different than what we face. Oh, they're so heavy so on them. So yeah. different. And you you were like, well, don't, you know, you got to, as a parent, try to, you can't. It's it's the culture we live in. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. the the stew that, that they're a part of. And so I guess you and I are both pastors. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think as people who can struggle with anxiety, but also as people who are counseling people who mm-hmm. struggle with anxiety or who want to shepherd their church to not be anxious. Yeah. How do we do this? We have an article here from Ann Voskamp where she actually asks a way to battle anxiety. How do we, how do you, how would you answer that question of battling anxiety? How do we do that? I feel a little bit out of my depth because I have, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. Anxiety has not been a struggle for me, mm. except I was telling you this, that recently I have, I, I do think it's starting to creep in because at night I have had those nights where I'm up, um, I can't sleep because I'm worrying or mm-hmm. because I just have something going on over and over and over in my head. And and so I do think that's some version of anxiety. Um, I would say, you know, what we need to be mindful of is there's there's worry Mm-hmm. where perhaps we're worried about something and we can solve it. And then there's anxiety, which really is more of that visceral reaction where like we can't sleep or our mind is racing or our heart are beating. Or sometimes in extreme cases, you can feel like you're having a panic attack. And I think uh, pastorally, I think I would just say you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, more and more and more people are starting to open up about the fact that they struggle with this. I'm sure there's uh, research on why it seems to be increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I do think the fact that, I mean, 
goodness gracious, God's word is so timeless that it even talks about worry and anxiety. And I do love Paul's words. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. That's what Ann Voskamp says on her blog post, A Way to Battle Anxiety. Um, She says that everything must be absorbed into thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. The way to battle anxiety is to exalt God. And um, I, I feel like that at least has to be part of it, right. right? Now, in some cases, you may need a Christian therapist, you may need a biblical counselor, you may need a friend you can talk to. Um, but in other cases, I do think to sort of try to stop your mind as best you can and just go, okay, Lord, these are the things I'm thankful for. I exalt you that you're in control. I am not God, you are. And just That's sort right. of, I think, get in that, almost fake it till you make it spiritual mm. discipline. What, but what do you think, Brian? Because if this is a struggle for you, you know more than I do. I'm not sure I do. I, I think that's it's a problem. <laughs> I love Ann Voskamp here says the answer to much anxiousness is the adoration of Christ. Mm. It's this remembering. I think one of the answers for me when I am feeling, you know, anxious or or whatever, when I, usually is a sign that there's just stuff building up yeah. that I don't feel like I'm meeting, whether it be a pastor, radio, dad, husband, like you've got all these balls that you're juggling. Right. And you're like, I just don't feel like I feel like these balls are going to drop or I'm not doing enough. Yeah. For me, that's usually a sign. And it's kind of sounds paradoxical. It sounds backwards. That's actually a time when I need to unplug. Yeah. That makes sense. Go for a walk with my wife or Mm -hmm. go on a date with my wife or Mm -hmm. go throw a ball with my son Mm -hmm. or go whatever else it might be. You would think the answer is, okay, then you just got to work harder and get everything done. So it's (laughs) all your Check it off your list. For me, it's those are those are just billboards they're just flashing lights to like unplug go do something fun and life-giving i'll go on walks and just find myself praying like like those are that has become increasingly the answer for me because when i continually just keep doing Mm -hmm. i gotta get this done gotta keep going there are times you have to work hard obviously but you know i gotta do 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 yeah I am I that I am going to fall off that cliff at some point. I'm I know start yesterday we it. talked about Sabbath. Was that yesterday? Yeah. And I feel like there has to be some connection here. Um because what you're saying are Sabbath things, right? Stop and go for a walk, stop and go on a date, stop and play outside with your son, mm-hmm. like be in nature, worship God, pray. That I uh you know, yesterday we talked about the value and the gift of taking a Sabbath, being really intentional about that. I wonder how that would help um, disempower our anxiety if we were to be more intentional about Sabbathing. Yeah, and I also think anxiety and depression, all, a lot of mental illness issues are just things we still aren't good at talking about so in the true. church. Like That's we're so still, uh, you know, until you get to Philippians 4 or this and that, but this whole anxiety, anxiety is more than nervousness, right? Yes. Like, oh, I'm anxious to speak today or this. That's normal. Yeah, that's healthy. Right. It's more like I'm not enough or Mm. this kind of feel of uh, I need other people to affirm me or all this kind of stuff. And so with the last minute we have left, do you think we're getting better at that as churches and the evangelical world as a whole? Or do we still have a long way to go in in kind of normalizing and talking about these things? Um, I would say both. And Mm -hmm. I definitely think we're getting better. I would say we weren't talking about these things 20 years ago, and now we are being more open at pastors are talking about their struggles and people in the church are opening up. We're kind of normalizing it. Mm -hmm. We definitely have a long way to go. I mean, I just even think about like other mental health issues in the church that we haven't even tapped. We haven't even touched. Yes. And we certainly have a long 
way to go for the mental health community. Absolutely. But I mean, 20 years ago, could you have written a book on lament? I'm not sure. <laughs> Absolutely not. And so that's why I mean, I, both yeah. and I do think we're, we're getting better. Yeah, we wanted to go over this topic just to say if you're out there and you struggle with anxiety, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do want to read like that's a promise in Philippians four. It's not like, a, oh, man, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. That's a promise made to us. And so we want to encourage you with that. We'll put that article from Ann Voskamp up at our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll put them up at the com- at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, Christianity Today editor-in-chief wrote this, The Splintering of the Evangelical Soul. Going to discuss that new op-ed out today here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, the splintering of the evangelical soul. Then we're joined by Benjamin Verbacek, lead teaching pastor, Community Evangelical Free Church, followed by the next round of Am I a Jerk or Am I Justified? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a beautiful Friday afternoon. Aubrey, I'm still amazed. I feel like I'm throwing a no-hitter that I haven't called you Audrey yet in eight days. Um, well, don't jinx it. I mean, maybe you shouldn't bring it up because... <laughs> it's like when you don't bring up a no-hitter. Right. <laughs> I'm assuming you get that all the time, though. Audrey, I get Audrey. We, we've already talked about how I get Amber. Um, yeah, it happens. That's all right. Do you get Ryan a lot? I get nothing but Brian. Really? Nothing. My name is very standard. It's no very... one's ever like, hey, brain. I will get that on mail often, and my kids think it's hilarious. <laughs> Wait, like, really? It'll oh, say like B-R-A-I-N instead of I-A-N? Oh, that's funny. You know, it's just like a, it's like an autocorrect or something, and it comes up brain from. I'll be like, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Did you ever watch Friends? Chandler Bing would get like... Chandler Bong. Chandler Bong, yeah. (laughs) Carrie and I went through a total friend stage before we had kids. We would like just sit and watch friends all the time. Oh, that's fine. Absolutely. Well, okay. Christianity Today, their president and CEO, his name is Timothy Dalrymple. uh, And he wrote an editorial that has been kind of flying around Twitter today, Christian Twitter. Uh, It's entitled this, The Splintering of the Evangelical Soul, Why We're Coming Apart and how we might come together again. I think mm. this is super important, and especially understanding who wrote it, right? The president of Christianity Day. Yeah. Let me just read some of the beginning for you. Okay. He says, new fractures are forming within the American evangelical movement, fractures that do not run along the usual regional, denominational, ethnic, or political lines. Mm. Couples, families, friends, and congregations, once united in their commitment to Christ, are now dividing over seemingly irreconcilable views of the world. In fact, they are not merely dividing, but becoming incomprehensible to one another. He then tells a story about college friends who used to be really tight, but now are kind of divided. He says, so then he goes on to say, what do you do when you feel you're losing the people you love to a false reality? Mm. What do you do with the humbling truth that they have precisely the same fear about you? Mm. The quandary is not unique to evangelicals, but fellow believers who once stood shoulder to shoulder now find that tectonic shifts have thrust them apart. Their continents are separating. They cannot find a bridge back to common ground. How could our views of reality diverge so dramatically? And is there anything we can do to draw together again? That's his intro. Uh, let me ask you, do you think he's overstating or do you think this is a good kind of lay of the land, a good uh, look at what's out, what's going on out there? I think he has his finger on the pulse of American evangelicalism right now, yeah. period. This is a, 
I mean, I don't know if I would call it a prophetic word unless he, well, he does give us some ways to change. So uh, perhaps, but he is certainly naming some things that are true, even things I've experienced in my own family relationships and Mm. friendships. Do you think he's right on, Brian? I do. I do. And I think social media plays into it. I think uh, what we talked about earlier about political, um, just partisanship. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to something we've talked a lot about is in our politics now, but it feels like culture wars it feels like everything yeah. but uh, but kind of the big umbrella being our politics it feels like uh, and we've said this many times here is that no longer can you and I disagree we can't be on different sides of the aisle but still be friends now it's in now it's a good and evil thing right like, yeah and I the other thing that I feel like is happening is um, so let's say you post something on social media that someone might disagree with. Mm-hmm. What I'm finding is now people are like sending me YouTube videos to disprove me or text messages to say you're wrong. And I think what's strange about that to me is I don't necessarily feel the need to do that on someone else's end. I'm like, oh, okay, we think differently about this. Certainly sometimes it riles me up more than it ought to. But I don't take the time to like go research a video to prove them wrong and send it to them. But that seems to be happening more and more to people I know. And hmm. I don't know that that's helpful. That doesn't feel like a solution either. Yeah. I've never been argued out of something, right? Like a perfect example right now is person X posts, hey, I got vaccinated today. And here come the articles as to the, you know, if you get vaccinated, you're going to grow a tail. Right, right, right. The dangers of vaccination. And that yeah. people, it, it's, man, I wish people were as as excited about evangelizing about Jesus, but everybody's mm-hmm. about, they've become political evangelists or vaccine evangelists yeah. or whatever else it might be. We do feel like we live in a culture and, it, and the, the, you and I are most concerned about the church. Yes. We live in a church culture where it's more important to be heard and be right than it is to be unified and um, civil, maybe. And do you feel like, I mean, I might be speaking out of turn here. I, I might be looking at the, not looking at the plank in my own eye, but do you feel like people are more easily offended than they have been in the past? I, I feel like that's, everyone is offended. Everyone is so earnest. And it, it, it does feel like you're walking on eggshells a lot. And I do think there's something to, we don't want to unnecessarily offend people. We want to be kind. We want to be gracious. We want to build bridges. We don't want to cause division. But I sometimes wonder if we're like, even me, I'm just asking myself now, am I overly sensitive to things where I need to not take everything so personally? Yeah, I think it's probably true. I do think in a culture where everything's about, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I defeating even whatever else it might be? Then you get defensive about what, oh, you called me wrong. Now we're really going to fight as opposed to going... You know, I, I really appreciate when I have a conversation with someone and either they say to me or I say to them, I haven't thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, thanks for that perspective. Thanks for passing on. I might not even agree with right. you. But hey, let's go have a coffee or yeah. an iced tea in my in my uh, circumstances. Let's, <laughs> let's go do something. So he's going to get into it. But what do you think the answer is to this? Because we talk about this often, the splintering of the evangelicalism mm-hmm. and that that it used to be the beauty of evangelicalism has always been uh, a... Or the goal of it being that there's kind of different types of beliefs and people yes. and this and that. And that is certainly changed. Uh, but what is an answer mm-hmm. in your mind? What's a way forward for us as individuals or as just churches? I think the answer, and he talks about this in this article. I'll read a quote in just a minute. But it always is 
do this stuff in community. Mm. It does not work to do it online. It does not work to do it with disembodied avatars. Like mm-hmm. you need to be in someone's living room across the table from them. Invite them to your house. I am saying this to myself too. Like we have to do it in relationship, in true friendship, so that there's respect, so that there's listening. And when we hurt each other biblically, we can resolve conflict. Yeah. We can be people of peacemaking. And that's the other thing I would say. Uh, I do think we've lost sort of this um, this passion for peacemaking. And I don't mean conflict avoidance. I mean actually doing the work that yeah. it takes for the shalom of everyone, for everyone to flourish. One of the quotes he says here in the article is, rather than withdrawing into communities of common loathing, that's a good word right there, the church should be offering a community of common love, a sanctuary from the fragmentation and polarization from the loneliness and isolation of the present moment. The church should model what it means to care for one another in spite of our differences on social and political matters and affirm the incomparably deeper rootedness of our identity in Christ. That's really good. And and that's what it kind of comes back to for the church. Like we could wave our fists at it and talk about the dangers of social media and the way our media is set up to splinter Mm -hmm. us. But until the church regains a uh, a priority on unity even, you know, the the important line is that unity does not equal uniformity. Right. There can be differences and right. there should be differences, but that Jesus literally prayed for our unity until that becomes a driving force of the church. We're going to just look like the culture around us where, hey, I'm a Republican Christian. I'm a Democrat Christian. I'm a I'm a pro vaccine, pro mask mm-hmm. Christian. I'm an anti vaccine, mm-hmm. anti mask, where it just becomes another title. And he ends his article this way. Again, this is Timothy Dalrymple, president and CEO of Christianity Today. He says, perhaps we can begin to build bridges across our informational worlds. Perhaps we can nurture a healthy media ecosystem that offers a balanced view of the world and a generous conversation about it. Perhaps we can restore a culture of leadership defined by humility over celebrity and integrity over influence. Perhaps we can invite those who have found counterfeit community in their political tribes to rediscover a richer and more robust community in Christ. All of these things will be essential to rebuilding a shared understanding of the world uh, that God created and what it means to follow Christ within it. Uh, just a great word. Such and, a great word. But it's going to come a point here, people, where we've got to stop talking about the fractured world we live in and start doing something yep. about it. And so I think this is helpful. Well, coming up next, speaking of social media, we're going to be joined by someone who's been on the show before, a pastor by the name of Benjamin Verbacek, uh, who wrote a really interesting blog called Dear Twitter, I'm Leaving You for My Wife. We're going to discuss that with Benjamin next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. And we're thrilled to be joined by someone who's been on the show before, uh, lead teaching pastor at Community Evangelical Free Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, managing editor for Gospel-Centered Discipleship, and co-author of Blogging for God's Glory in a Clickbait World. That is Benjamin Verbacek. Benjamin, great to have you back on. How are you doing, man? Oh, doing really well. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Hey, uh, could you remind our people, reintroduce yourself to our listeners so they can get to know you a little bit. 
Yeah, so um, pastor of a local church in the capital city of Pennsylvania. Um, not a huge capital, but uh, it's a great place to live. I've got a bunch of kids that love sports, and um, I like writing things. <laughs> yeah, you said so, off the air that you've yeah. got a pretty busy weekend because of sports. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I, I was thinking, of, I was recently at a pastor's conference, came home, and I thought, Man, I think my home life is a lot harder than anything I do at work, just managing (laughs) all the chaos. That's right. I feel that. Benjamin, your blog is called Fan and Flame. People can find it at fanandflame.com. You wrote an amazing blog post recently that was called Dear Twitter, I'm Leaving You for My Wife. Can you talk to us about that? Well, my, when my wife read it, she thought I overpromised a little in the title there. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's honest. It's a little, yeah, it's a little more about Twitter than, than, than her. But I, yeah, so it was a long time coming. I, I really like, um, Twitter for the connections it makes and the mm-hmm. friendships it develops. I, I really have, I do feel like there, there's some meaningful connections I've made. I just, f- for me, it was becoming more and more difficult to find the joy and the good uh, in the sea of, I don't know, what I call trash. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. just was so hard. And and especially my little niche, which is just, I, I know it's not everybody else's, but the little pastor world of Twitter can be very nitpicky and and harsh. And yep. um, so that, I just, I had had enough. That's the short answer. We could talk about it more though. No, I would love to talk about it more. Like what's been the difficulty for you? Cause I go through that a lot. I, oh, I got to get off of Facebook. I'm done with Twitter, yeah. uh, whatever else it might be. So has it been freeing for you? Has it been a struggle? Like you find yourself wanting to like almost reflexively going back and like, Oh wait, I'm not going to do that. What's it been like for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know that I've ever been fully addicted. The closest thing I've probably is caffeine and Starbucks or something like that. But that I, so I don't know that there's true withdrawals, but I do find myself going like, I just want to click over or look at it or whatever. And, and, and every once in a while I've checked back, but just to see if anybody sends me a message or something that I yeah. want to follow up with. But it is, uh, it is really nice to not be connected in that way and feel mm-hmm. that impulse to just look. I, I hadn't realized just in an hour of time, uh, at the office or, or on a weekend or whatever, how m- much I was pulling a phone out just to check. So yeah. I think it's been freeing. You know, one thing I, I just since writing that article reflection I have, can, can I share that with you? Please, Absolutely. please do. Yeah. So for me, I, the, the medium itself, okay, well, t- it's a radio program. Perhaps many people are driving in their car as they're listening. You know, when, when your car is out of alignment, it's pulling to one side or another and it's maybe it's minor. And so you just let it go and you overcompensate by just, tilting the steering wheel a little bit, but that, that takes effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as thinking about social media in general, maybe even specifically Twitter, it is not as an accident or a fault, um, but in a sense, but like it's baked in to the machinery to pull you towards outrage. Certainly. That's- and yeah. So, so what, what, what I was finding myself um, is that the effort it took to have a, Twitter engagements that were glorifying to the Lord, pleasing and enjoyable, that, that bore the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience and kindness and faithfulness and so on, was it really took a lot of effort when it's constantly trying to pull you to the sides, mm-hmm. uh, the ditch, so to speak, of outreach. And so I just, in, in, throughout 2020, I just wore down. And normally I would have, I think it's good for Christians to be there. It's not probably the most helpful if all Christians vacate social media, but um, it, I just didn't have the strength for it anymore. Mm. 
Benjamin, for Christians who feel, uh, for whatever reason, convicted to stay on social media, so there are Christians in that space, I, I guess I wonder what sort of words would you give them to guard themselves against that outrage or to guard themselves against being kind of, you know, pulled in one direction or the other? Because you're right, it is it is baked into the system. Yeah, I think the first step would be to acknowledge that there's a current in the stream right. that, that it's actually, you're not just, and, and I think we have this high view of the influence we can have on others. And that's great. You know, I think, you know, Habakkuk has that line in the Bible about the, the knowledge of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the seas. Like mm. that's, that's a glorious um, thing we're moving towards um, with the Lord's help. And so, so we want to be in all places, whether that's, in books or TV, online, radio, as you are here, podcasts. That's wonderful. But so we have this view of influencing the world for Christ, super noble. But I think we don't understand how much we're also being discipled mm-hmm. by the medium itself. And so mm-hmm. I would just encourage, just as a first step, would just to be thinking reflectively about not how just you're influencing other people, but how Twitter itself or any other social media is actually influencing you. That's good. Yeah. And I think one of the premises, you know, you talk about, I'm leaving you for my wife, which is, I think, just a great hook in a, in a great line, uh, is the idea of presence, right? And you talked about it earlier. One thing social media does to me is makes me feel really distracted. <laughs> like I'm constantly bouncing all around. Uh, talk about maybe how you've experienced it, but just in general, the, the um, importance of presence presence with your family, with your church, whatever else it might be, and how social media kind of wars against that on us a little bit. Oh, man. I, so I'm a dad with, with, with a house where I've got a, a three-year-old all the way up to a 14-year-old. Wow. And, wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, we just celebrated. I think we got out of 12 years of diapers recently. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> uh, congrats. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. So, but... Man, they, they just, they don't need, they need their dad. They need someone to look them in the eyes when they're talking. They don't need to say my name four times to mm. get my attention because I, I was talking mm-hmm, to people mm-hmm. that I don't really know that are little avatars on a screen that okay. maybe liked something I did or hated something I did. It doesn't matter. I've got kids growing up. And, and, and then not to mention my wife, that which is where the title came from. I just thought, yeah, I, I, I'm a distracted person by itself. And yeah. so to have a phone in my hand, like she wants, she wants me to listen to her with my face. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not just. That's good. And just, yeah, there's a tip everyone. there for, yes, there, yeah, they, that's for free. They can, your <laughs> listeners can, can just put that into practice. Their marriage will be better already. So that for me, I just, even when I go to a restaurant, like I have to, I want to position myself at a table that's not facing a TV. Not, mm. I mean, I like TV as much as the next person, sure. but like, I, I just can't do it. And I, I felt like this has been, um, you know, if you can do it, great, but I, I just can't handle it. That's great. Benjamin, it's really fun to have you on. Before we let you go, remind people all the places they can find you. Clearly not on Twitter anymore, but, uh, <laughs> but where you know, your blog, where can people find you if they want to read more of your stuff? Yeah, I just love to connect uh, through my blog and you can get an email back and forth and, and just get to know real people. And that way, so fanandflame.com is where I write. I used to write more regularly, but I'm, I'm down to maybe once a month now. It used to be weekly, but my editing role and kind of book writing role has, has backed that off a bit. But I st- I'm still there writing things and love to connect with people. Yeah, Benjamin, it's been a lot of fun having you back on the show again. Benjamin, Benjamin Verbacek is a lead teaching pastor a Community Evangelical Free Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, managing editor for Gospel-Centered Discipleship 
co-author of a book called Blogging for God's Glory in a Clickbait World. And again, you can find Benjamin at fanandflame.com. That's fanandflame.com. Benjamin, ton of fun to have you back on. Thanks so much for being here with us, Benjamin. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime. Have a great day, man. You too, Audrey and Brian. Thanks. Thanks. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, I am Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. One of the things that's been really fun over this first week of our show is uh, I feel like is is we're kind of introducing some of these new segments, yeah. our top five lists, uh, where we've learned some troubling things about you in these top five <laughs> lists. You're so judgy, Brian. But then also, uh, we created a new, a new uh, segment called Am I a Jerk or Am I Justified? And uh, all of these have focused on me so far. So I give you a scenario, something that really happened in my life. Uh, and I ask you, am I a jerk? So earlier in the week or last week, I, I gave you the scenario where uh, a, a guy came up, one of these guys running for office came to our door, rung the doorbell, and <laughs> we looked at each other. And I just didn't open the door. <laughs> like, And you kind of said kind of a jerk I, on that one. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the way the game is played. We give each other a scenario. Uh, does that make me a jerk? Or am I justified in my actions? Is it good? And so uh, today, for the first time, you're going to give us a scenario from your life. Yes. And I am. I'm ready. I'm feeling critical today. So okay, let's uh, see if you're snarky towards me. Uh, this is a little segment we called "Am I a Jerk or Am I Justified?" It's time for another round of your favorite game. Am I a jerk or am I justified? All right, you ready for this, Brian? I, I am more ready for this than anything okay. I've been ready for today. Well, you You're don't... a jerk. <laughs> We're done. We played it. It's over. All right. I feel like I, this. I gotta sell this one real cautiously. Okay, so you know that uh, as a pastor, we do a lot of premarital counseling. Uh-huh. We are in a lot of weddings, performing mm-hmm. weddings. I'm sure you are as well. And um, I actually, I'm going to my sister's wedding just next weekend, which will be really fun. But I had a bride recently okay. send me a picture of herself in her wedding dress or the wedding dress she was about to buy. And the question was, what do you think of the dress? Okay. Okay. Understand as a guy, I've never been faced with this in my life before, but keep going. Okay. So here was the problem. The bride did not look great in the dress. And you, as a friend, as a mentor, as a you know influential person in the bride's life, you have to ask yourself, do you, I have a pact with a friend where we don't let each other, like we say, don't let me go to the prom with toilet paper coming out of my dress. Like, <laughs> yes. do you, do you say the honest thing? Like, Ooh, no, that's not the dress for you. Or do you just say, you look beautiful. And I said, it's not the dress for you. Okay. And uh, it caused conflict. Oh, it did. Uh huh. But months later, she saw a picture of herself in the dress and said, I wish I would have listened to you. So am I a jerk or am I justified? Pause for a second. Okay. Still bought the dress. Still bought the dress. Okay. Yep. Uh, so this is an easy one for me. Okay. I think you are completely justified. Oh, completely that's not what I thought you were going to say. Really? Justified. Let me give you my reasoning behind okay. this. Okay. Uh, the reason behind this is that your friend reached out to you. Mm-hmm. You were not okay. going. This, she was not posting on Facebook. Hey, look at me in my wedding dress, and you're like, 
looks terrible. True. That's that's not what happened. You're your, right. Your friend reached out to you and said, Aubrey, I'm, I value your opinion. Please give me your honest opinion. Implied in that is, I need your eyes on this because I don't want to walk down the aisle. Right. And, not, and people like, ugh. Right. You know? And so I feel like uh, because she came to you and because uh, you guys have that sort of relationship, in fact, I think you would have been a jerk. If you didn't, if I tell didn't her. tell her, yes. Okay, well then I feel justified in it. I'm, it, I'm going with justified. It did not go well. Let me tell you what I think I should have done okay. and what I will do in the future. <laughs> I'm ready. I would say, oh, did you already pick this dress? And it, I would find out if she had decided on it, and then I would say, well, do you like it? And if she said yes, I love it, then I would say, then that's the dress for you, that's and I would this. leave it at that. Do, do you like it? Now, you as a husband, you don't get the, like, does Carrie ever come to you and say, you know, what do you think about this? Or does this make me look a certain way? Or should I, should That's I, shouldn't I wear this? different scenario altogether. Because <laughs> it's, it's your wife, right? A, I'm a man. And B, <laughs> that's my wife and not a wedding dress. That's true. But here's what's happened. And interesting that you bring this up. That, yes, I would say that that scenario used to happen. Okay. And every guy out there knows that you do a dance in that moment of going, <laughs> what does she want me to say? What's the right answer? Is she actually asking me, do you look, do you like this? Or yes. is it just, she likes it and just wants yeah. affirmation. So, uh, but here's the interesting thing that's happened in our house as of late. I have a 17 year old daughter and an 11 year old daughter. Yeah. And you're surrounded by girls. No, it's been beautiful because my wife no longer asks me. <laughs> good she goes she straight goes to them to my daughters and my daughters especially my older daughter will tell her the truth like yeah. no mom not that yeah and it seems to be received a lot better so certainly that's true i it has been a almost a uh it's been a long time since i've been asked by my wife what do you think of yeah this is this why photo. i need daughters because my you boys do. yeah like even today what should i wear for the we're doing a photo shoot later for the show the common good and even my boys what should i wear they're like we don't care. Wear a costume. Wear a costume. Put on a Avengers mask. Like, you know, they just don't take it seriously. I'm like, this is not helpful. This is why I need daughters. Yep. My my wife also never asks my 13-year-old son, what do you think of this? <laughs> right. So, yeah. But I'm now categorized as the 13-year-old son as well. I, get, I never get asked. And I know whatever they come up with, I tell her, you look beautiful. That's and, uh, right. That's sort of the right go. answer. Right, I think we have time. Let me give you one oh, for okay, me. You okay, you got one. Okay. okay. So you're justified. Yes. Okay. I'm telling everyone I'm justified. I have no doubt. In my mind, I know how you're going to answer this. Okay. Uh, partially because of how you feel about my wife, but also because I, I anyway, no, enough uh, disclaimers. Yeah. Uh, my wife is a wonderful cook and will regularly make dinner for the family. I, If it's not grilled, I tend to not deal with the food. Right? Okay, it's gotcha. Kinda, you're the grill guy. It's a very uh, traditional element of our home life. Yeah. Some things are traditional, some are not. And that's a very, uh, that's one that tends to be. I strangely like my food to be exceptionally hot. <gasps> I have that thing too. Exceptionally hot. And so regularly, my wife will make a wonderful meal and I will be like, hey, I'm going to stick this in the, in the microwave. microwave for a couple seconds. Yeah. And I always feel like it hurts her a little bit. Yeah. And so here's simply my question. Uh, in that moment, do you eat the food that, again, it's not cold. It's not even lukewarm. I just, I'm owning this, that I tend to like food beyond. Super hot. Yes. And the rest of my family doesn't. And so I will often microwave something that she has just <sighs> spent a long time yeah. making. Yeah. 
and I always feel like a jerk, but I also want to enjoy the meal to its maximum, right. and, and I want it really hot. Uh, so in that scenario, okay. So this is hard because I like really hot food too, and I often even my own meals that I cook, I'll prepare it for my family. I'll sit down at the table and start eating. I'll be like, "Oh, this isn't hot enough. Do you guys want me to heat it?" And they're like, "Mom, it's fine." And I'll go to the microwave. Kevin thinks I'm really weird about this. So this is I, I'm a little bit torn here because. Uh, just to repeat this back to you, anytime my husband goes and gets like ketchup for something I've prepared, I get real insulted. And I feel like that's equivalent to getting the ketchup because it feels like you're saying this isn't flavorful enough. This isn't, and you're saying this isn't warm enough. So I wish there was an in between jerk and justified, like a jerkified. Okay. That's, I feel like, where you are. A justified jerk. I, I will tell you, I always feel like a jerk. Yeah. But Carrie's gotten used to it. So okay. I, I okay. will regularly get up from the table. Yeah. And just and go. Not even say anything. And she'll be like, Are you putting it in the microwave? <laughs> I'm like, Yep. And yeah. she kind of gets it. But I always feel like it's kind of a jerky move yeah. on my part. Like, yeah. it's kind of like, Hey, if you want it hotter, maybe you make the meal. You should but. make the dinner. I mean, that, there's some, that's why I'm like, Yeah, it is kind of jerky. But also, I do the same thing to my own food so i if it was anything else i would probably say jerk but i get wanting hot food all right my goal next week is to come up with a scenario where there's no doubt that i'm a jerk okay i, I, I can't wait for it. that in i kind of got it without with the i don't tip people oh yeah that was definitely a jerk that was your first like official strong jerk yeah yeah okay all right we're gonna try it next week okay. all right that is jerker justified the first one the first aubrey sampson edition and uh no completely justified we'll bring that back to you next week we're gonna end the show next here uh, we're going to get pastoral on you. Both Aubrey and I are going to pick a passage, and we're going to preach to you a little bit to try to encourage you as we head off into the weekend. That is next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, I am Brian Fromm. It is Friday. It is. We are done in like 10 minutes here. The weekend is here. Almost dinner time. So you're going to watch. See if you can get it. Uh, it's a Marvel thing. Yes, with yes, a Falcon yes, and, uh, and a certain kind of soldier. <laughs> not in the summer, but in the a winter soldier. The winter soldier. And do you remember my new love, my new treasure, my new discovery on Disney Plus? I don't. Um, a little hockey show oh, with Emilio Estevez and Lauren the, Graham. I forgot that on Brian. purpose. Mighty Ducks. Yes. yes. We will be watching the Mighty Ducks Game Changer and uh, Captain. I keep saying Captain America, but no. it's not. It's and, Falcon and, and Winter Soldier. And what's the food choice for the evening? No, we haven't talked about it, which means it's pizza. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. By the way, my wife's love language is pizza. <gasps> oh, see, I knew I loved Carrie. It Do is you guys pizza. have a pizza place you just, it's your place? No, I my wife's a little highbrow when it comes to her pizza, <laughs> so I find myself buying like Lubalnati's oh, or Giordano's or this or that. For me, so this is this will be a bigger conversation for another day. Okay, I grew up in New Jersey, so I would rather have New York style, oh, thin yeah. as a plate, dripping with grease, and like, you roll it up or whatever. I don't tend to, but okay. people will fold it. It's like as yeah. big as your plate. Yeah, Carrie, Carrie wants like thick deep dish deep Chicago dish. and so yeah literally the first, when we were dating and she came out to visit me in Jersey uh, we were at the local pizzeria and we're just talking like she had just flown in from Wisconsin we're talking and all of a sudden I realized she's just looking down and it, what she realized, I, what I realized is I'm, it's totally normal to me. It's a big piece of like New York style Jersey <laughs> pizza. 
and I pick it up, and it is just there's grease running Stop. off of it, oh, and nasty. I'm just dabbing it with a, and it's totally <laughs> normal to me. Dabbing with a napkin, not even thinking not about even thinking. it. And she has this look of repulsion on her face, <laughs> like, what's going on? I'm like. Oh, like you don't. That's no, awesome. Like, well, okay. Yeah. That's so if funny. I there's a place in Naperville that's great New York style pizza. There was one closer by in Glen Ellen, ah. and it didn't survive the pandemic. Oh, I would sad. go in. The guy was from Jersey. We would Come talk. On. It was great. Talk uh, about Bon Jovi. Uh, yes. Talk about the Good situation. Come on. Well, no. Come on now. We're <laughs> you don't not, go to Jersey Shore. It's Bon Jovi. It's Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah, Bruce, of course. There what was we I, go. Wow, what was I thinking? Yeah, ask him what exit he lived off of, and away we go. So Love it. Uh, all righty. So what we, what, what, the way we want to end the show today, Aubrey and I are both pastors. You're at Renewal Church in West Chicago. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. Uh, and so kind of our passion, right, is to be able to open up God's Word, mm-hmm. to encourage people, to mm-hmm. challenge people. And so kind of something we haven't really done, but we thought would be fun is like, let's just both pick a separate passage, uh, t- read it, uh, and and just kind of try to send our, our listening audience out with some encouragement. And then we're even going to give them a benediction. You're going to give them a benediction. I am, so I am. why don't you start? Give them a passage and, and just a little uh, two, three minute homily here for them. Okay. I actually didn't prepare this. So let's Neither just see what did. the Holy Spirit did. Okay. <laughs> <Neither of us. laughs> uh, I was reading this from Ephesians. This is Paul, of course, writing to the church in Ephesus. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called, his holy people who are rich and glorious, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Mm. And, um, oh, isn't that so beautiful? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I guess the word that comes to mind immediately is uh the difference between scarcity and abundance and so often we live with a scarcity mindset that god is withholding from us or that god doesn't want what's good for us and even though mentally we know we have a good good father sometimes we don't always think of god that way but right here paul is saying not just that god gives us confident hope i mean he floods us with light he floods us with confident hope but we're his glorious and rich inheritance and so we have abundance from god but god also sees us as his mm-hmm. his abundance his gift and so i think you know if if you're feeling low today because it has been a hard week in america let's just be honest that's right lots of devastation um, if you're feeling like God is withholding from you, none of those things are true. The, the truth is that God will flood you with his light. He will, he will give you an overabundant amount of his confident hope. And he has called you his people. He has called you his rich and glorious inheritance. Hear that. You are the glorious mm. and rich inheritance of God. Nothing can take that away from you. That's a great word. I wanted to go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, really short verse. This has been a verse that I've just kind of hung on to throughout the pandemic. And, you know, you and I have talked about kind of uh, the struggle of not only everything being different in our lives, but our kids getting older and Mm -hmm. you constantly want to hold on or, you know, this stage of life or whatever else it might be when, when things kind of feel up and down. Hebrews 13, verse 8 just says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Very short verse, but I think that is transformational. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's why this is so important, friends. No matter what you're going through right now, 
uh, no matter how much life feels different, no matter how much, uh, you know, the winds of change are moving or, you know, you're, you're missing how things were. Sometimes we can start to believe that Jesus changes around mm. us too. Like, oh, yeah, he used to love me, but now he's yeah. this or, uh, you know, he was my son. And, and, and we can lose that. And so I think holding on to the fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever yes. gives us a rock that we can stand on and we can anchor our lives to uh, no matter what is going on. And so I hold on to that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today. And forever. Hopefully that's helpful for you. And hopefully we can do these kinds of things in the future. So we were going to end here with a uh, a benediction, another word. And I said, you do it. You got it. I'm doing it. This is not a traditional benediction, but I'm going to send you away with this because this is such a good word from Romans 8. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, Mm. overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. So today, may you experience the overwhelming victory that is yours through Christ Jesus who loves you. Mm, That's a good word. How would you? All right. Benediction. I'm not supposed to ask a question. I'm going to do it again. Let's do it. How would you describe that victory? When you talk about Mm. victory to people, what what do you think that means? Oh. That is such a great question. You know, I, I've been thinking about victory actually a lot lately because I, you know, sometimes I feel like in life we have a choice to be a victim or a victor, right? And I, I feel like we can, um, victory is the fact that Jesus gave us his own life, died for us, conquered the grave so that we can experience, I mean, this is the amazing thing, not just victory one day when we go to heaven, mm-hmm. but we can experience victory over the oppression of sin, the condemnation of sin, the, um, experience of shame we can live free because of the victory of jesus over the grave we can experience that now now not in whole you know like one day we'll experience holy but we can experience down payments of that victory Mm. now how would you describe victory i just love that word i love that word you use that you can have down payment now Mm -hmm. i i love i think what becomes so important is that is that you anchor that victory now because so often we'll be like oh we have victory in the future which is true and and we hold on to that future reality of no more pain and no more death and no more tears. Yeah. But we also have that victory now. Yeah. We, you know, even in the already not yet, he, that victory has been won, is won, and it will always be is won. Is being won, yeah. Right. And we can hold on to that even when things are hard and they feel down. So hopefully that's a good encouragement for you. We thought that would be a fun way, an encouraging way to end our week. Thanks for joining us all week. If you missed any of our shows, go get the podcast wherever it is. You get your podcast. Have a great weekend. Hope you and Kevin have a great weekend. Thank you. Too. What are you doing this weekend? I never asked you. Baseball, 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 baseball games. I think we might go out to dinner tonight as a family. Nice. So looking forward to it. Well, uh, we hope all of you out there also have a great weekend for Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to the common good. AM 1160. Hope for your life.